This podcast is sponsored by Track Hospitality Software. Track by Travelnet Solutions offers a portfolio of innovative software from CRM vacation rental property management software to Cloud Contact Center. With integrated software and revenue maximizing solutions, Travelnet Solutions is transforming how hospitality works. Hello and welcome to this edition of the VRMA Arrival Podcast. I'm Greg Holcomb, Government Relations Director for VRMA, and today we'll be discussing the COVID-19 impact of U.S. Short-Term Rentals Special Report, a newly released survey that explores the impact of the coronavirus pandemic on the short-term and vacation rental industry. The study, which is available for download at vrma.org in the COVID-19 resource page, was produced by Rent Responsibly, in participation with the Vacation Rental Management Association and AirDNA. Our guests today to discuss the findings of the survey are David Kraus, founder and CEO of Rent Responsibly, and Scott Shetford, founder and CEO of AirDNA. Thank you, gentlemen, for coming today and discussing this really interesting survey that we put together and the report. Just wondered what, Dave, I think I'll start with you because you kind of reached out to me on this, uh, to VRMA, to ask you, what was the need behind the report? What would you see as the, the importance of this? Sure. Thank you for having us, Greg. It's my pleasure to be here and my pleasure to unveil on this uh, podcast this really interesting survey and, and look into the COVID-19 moment for our beloved industry. So the question of why we did it uh, or why we had the inclination to launch a survey like this really was because we were running into a wall when trying to explain, this was an activity Rent Responsibly was doing as part of our Find the Helpers campaign, where we were trying to tell the story of individual helpers going above and beyond, really taking heroic efforts to uh, help their community by using their short-term rental operation to take in uh, essential workers, self-isolating families, uh, frontline medical employees, things like that. And we just heard this consistent refrain, which was, well, these are great stories, but are they part of a trend? Is there any data that would support that there's more than just these anecdotes of this kind of widespread movement towards using short-term rentals in the COVID moment for uh, what I would just call non-core short-term rental activity, which, you know, as Scott, I'm sure can speak about really don't look like such short-term rental activities as as they did pre-COVID. Anyways, and so we realized that there wasn't data. There was no data to help people get comfortable of what was going on on a macro level. And it ballooned from there, Greg. We worked with you and VRMA and with Scott and AirDNA to really scope out what are all the key information pieces that if we don't collect them now, we'll never know. And uh, so we think that we did a good job and and really unearthed a ton of really interesting information, really important information too. Yeah, and I think, uh, Scott, with AirDNA, I know when the start of COVID really happened and hit the market and really devastated the short-term rental market with all the travel bans, I know AirDNA was putting out a lot of information about uh, how that was uh, affecting, you know, short-term rental markets in various communities. But how, what did you see as the need behind this report outside of just that general market information? Yeah, well, we have a lot of market data 
at AirDNA, but we don't have any human data. We don't have any human stories. We don't know much about the guests that are showing up at properties. And so when David reached out, it seemed like a nice marriage of our data on supply and demand and all those fun but somewhat boring stories and adding the human element to that. You know, so, you know, we still saw that bookings were happening on the platform and a lot of people thought that that was sort of preposterous. But we started looking at kind of how they were being used, what types of bookings were happening, bookings for 90 days, people fleeing New York City, people hosting, first responders. You know, there was just a lot more depth to that story that we couldn't provide with the data that we had at our fingertips. Yeah, and it's kind of similar here with uh, with VRMA. You know, we have a lot of information on the the market information that's out there from key players like yourself um, with AirDNA and, and others. But finding out that those individual impacts, specifically how the businesses were getting impacted too, and who was getting assistance. You know, we have questions in the survey about whether or not they were receiving assistance. One of the interesting things need behind the report too is I thought it was really good of how we were able to cross over between professional managers, uh, maybe some of the non-professional uh, individuals that just do this not necessarily as a living, but on the side to those um, individual hosts that are renting out just a few rooms. It was a nice cross section, including homeowners too, specifically homeowners as well. And I, I thought that was really important to have uh, to get a nice broad stroke of information across. So, Dave, I know your team put a lot of effort behind developing the survey itself and piecing it all together. And who was involved in all that? Who, you know, provided the input? Who were we reaching out to? You want to talk about that? Sure. Yeah. So I think it just a little bit of the process helps people understand the data that comes out the other end. Really what we saw was that Scott specifically having a broad-based audience, uh, domestic, from all the way from your individual short-term rental operator, all the way to large managers and big macro uh, data sets. And then VRMA obviously has a, a, a real grasp on the professional, you know, five units and up, um, a lot of the more traditional markets. And so we thought there was a lot of great coverage there. And then my history as a owner, manager, and then vendor with NoiseAware, I had a lot of connections with other vendors. And uh, if you've ever been to a VRMA conference, you know that a lot of the business goes down at the bar. And so I used a lot of those uh, relationships, uh, finally honed uh, in the late night hours, to call in some favors and have people help promote uh, to their audience this really important survey and then we would be able to give the data back to them. So just a couple of bits of information. You know, one thing we found out based on the 1400 plus respondents were that if you owned a short-term rental and you responded to the survey, 89% of those respondents have five or fewer properties. So if you think of the iceberg, right, there's just these small small number of people at the top that own a lot and we hear a lot about these you know large investors and things like that but it really is uh, a, a true to the kind of core is we're a community-based industry where uh, the vast majority of people are just concerned over a couple properties and and so the uh, ability for regulatory impacts or just any sort of things like the pandemics impact itself is just going to impact a ton of people and that was one thing we thought the data would be able to help us do if we were able to get the large manager perspective and all the way down to the individual owner. 
And with four, you know, our, our original goal was to have 400 respondents. And we ended up with over 1400. And I will say, having seen how all the data came in, it was, it was the uh, rent responsibly efforts, the air DNA efforts and the VRMA efforts really kind of were three quarters of the pie. And then these other partners that promoted were the, the fourth quarter. So it really was a really nice spread. And I think it was uh, representative of our industry as a whole. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a good transition into the key findings of the report. And I think, you know, what you had mentioned just now, Dave, is very interesting of, of how few properties are owned or managed by the respondents. Uh, because I think it does dispel kind of that myth that's out there uh, that some, you know, major travel lobbying efforts have painted the vacation rental world in this message of these huge conglomerate investor run behemoths out there. And we just don't see that. You know, this, uh, to me, this information matched up uh, with a survey that was done uh, back in 2016 or 17, I think it was, um, that VRMA did that showed that, you know, over half of our members had fewer than 100 properties under their, their belt. You know, they're less than a million dollar a year businesses. So it, I thought it was very interesting to see that kind of that information come forward. Scott, yeah. what, what do you think was the key takeaway there? I think that is eye-opening for people, right? I mean, I think a lot of people look at our data too, and they, they sort of uh, misconstrue a property manager for, uh, you know, a investor that has 632 properties in the Outer Banks, right? And so it's often, you know, helpful for the press and other people to really understand, like, what is a real investor? Like, how many properties do they actually have? And as it shows here, almost 90% have less than five properties. And so I think that was nice to have this distribution of, you know, what is a property manager who's an investor, but also just think about the sort of, you know, why are these investors being, you know, villainized is also just something I always, you know, contemplate. You know, if you invest a, in a couple of vacation rentals, you know, why is that better or different than buying a couple of long-term rentals or investing in other things, right? It's just like, you know, real estate's a good investment. Most people have accrued their net worth is based in their real estate that they own, right? So this is just a, a sound investment and it's a different way to monetize that investment. So it was a nice way to sort of humanize this investor, right? These are people that have a couple properties. They're paying the bills of those properties. They're employing staff with those properties. And these are, you know, real people, real local citizens, right? And so I think it was nice to have this distribution where sort of, you know, usually the surveys are very professional property manager based, but you know, we know that a large percentage of the properties being managed are true VRBO, second home, third home investments. And it's nice to have them represented here. Greg, can I add yeah. one thing to that too? And it's not just that there's a lot of people. It's that these people really do depend on their revenue from the short term. And not just to keep their property, you know, in the black and, and instead of dipping into their life savings just to keep, you know, the, the lights on. But we asked the question of, are you dependent on this revenue? And we found that 88% uh, were at least somewhat dependent. So we had 43% were somewhat dependent and 46% were very dependent. Only 11% were not dependent. And um, I rounded up. So if anybody wants to accuse me of only getting to 99, I might have only gotten to 99 there. But 
point being is that, you know, I, I'm a short-term rental owner myself, have been for seven years. I'm really dependent on this too, you know? So like, how do I express that? How does Scott express that? How does Greg express that? Because we all know this without the data. And I think this, uh, this really allows us to speak with a, a more authoritative voice when we go to say, hey, we're dependent on this revenue. This is not just investors, you know, um, taking advantage of some sort of system. It's these are real retirement plans and retirement homes and things like that. Yeah. And that was something that was striking to me as one of the questions that we asked was whether or not they were going to, uh, whether the respondents were going to receive or, or try to receive any of the CARES Act funding or any of the other stimulus. And there was 35% that said, no, um, you know, they weren't going to apply, they weren't eligible, or they were already denied funding. That's quite a remarkable number if you think about it. And a lot of those, I'm sure, were also some of the individual homeowners because there really wasn't anything in those acts to actually support the individual property owner um, and the investors. You know, and Cliff Johnson with Rented has a comment on that uh, section that says, you know, we could see upwards of half a business, small businesses going out of business because there is no financial support there you know, unless those markets open back up. Scary. <laughs> yes. Now, one of the other striking things, and I know this was kind of what you were looking for, Dave, was the, for Rent Responsibly, the information about how else were individuals using. Um, and, and, and to support uh, AirDNA, you know, Scott, with your information of actually seeing these bookings come through in such a, a strange time for that to happen. But, you know, one in this number of one in two hosts uh, hosted someone for non-leisure reasons. You know, that's remarkable to me that there, you know, there was still a demand for the product, even in such a pandemic. Do you have any, uh, I guess, any more insight on that, uh, Dave? Because I know you've, you've done stories on on uh, some of these individuals as well. Yeah, I mean, I think this is the, the narrative from COVID-19 from short-term rentals is if you think about the fact that these properties had on on a dime they basically had a flood of cancellations which scott could probably speak to in much more uh, acute data but a flood of cancellations left these uh resources these assets in a moment where we had we're talking a lot about social distancing we're talking a lot about getting uh relief for medical workers which oftentimes has to do with moving medical workers into different communities where they're needed more um, and then the idea of uh, get, getting social or self-isolation, right? If you've been exposed, uh, self-isolate for 14 days. And that does not mean you have COVID-19. That just means that that's the recommended protocol. And we, again, anecdotally heard that a lot of folks were in these kind of conundrums. And then even, sorry, just one more. Students that had to leave campus and couldn't mm. go home. International travelers whose who plans were disrupted. I mean, the list is as long as your imagination can let, can, you can let your imagination run. That said, people turn to the short-term rental option for lodging in these circumstances. And we see that with longer booking stays. We see that with a lot of stories that have come out about programs where people said, I'm going to completely waive all fees and charges and just make my unit available. Of course, one of the, all the platforms tried to help make that happen. Um, but it, it netted to about half the units or half the respondents said that they took in somebody who was a non-leisure traveler in the COVID-19 moment. And specifically, I want to highlight uh, one thing too, because this is where this started. Rent Responsibly started off saying, we need to capture these stories. 
because they're they're what we did. They're part of our history. And we found a story like Danielle Parker in Philadelphia, who is a cancer patient, immunocompromised, has leukemia, and she normally goes to a, uh, a house, I think it's called the Hope Lodge, um, from the American Cancer Society, but that Hope Lodge is not, was not introducing new people back into the lodge, because you don't want new uh, families and new patients coming in to protect the ones who are there and, uh, you know, again, trying to keep separation. She had nowhere to go, but a short-term rental uh, manager named Steve Patterson in, in Philadelphia opened up his units, which had been canceled, as we mentioned, and just said, please come. Like, you, you, if there's a time to band together and do something like this, now is the time. And Danielle received housing in Philadelphia. It was right near the hospital. She, she says, quote, unquote, it was a lifesaver. So if we're not putting a spotlight on these people who are, you know, I don't want to use hyperbole and say we're saving lives, but we are contributing to the life-saving effort by, uh, by housing, you know, frontline medical and then all the way down to cancer patients who have nowhere else to go. I mean, these are private homes. They're going to be there a while. You have laundry, you have kitchen. We know all those value props. You can't find that anywhere else. And cities took notice. So we're very proud of that series. But that really is emblematic of the type of people of this industry, of this community. And uh, we couldn't be more happy to have captured it now in both data form and, and anecdotally. And Scott, uh, if I could just kick it to you, I mean, some, some of these, you know, just how bad were these uh, reservation drop off? I mean, it, there was a lot of... Uh, a lot that led up to leaving units empty. Yeah, I mean, there were, there were a ton of cancellations and Airbnb, we can track it a bit better than VRBO and VRBO's cancellations weren't as high. Um, and we all probably know about the policies that, that sort of existed on both platforms. Yeah, we saw, we saw cancellation rates around 90%, you know, globally, um, you know, at that sort of peak being, you know, the, the mid of March. Um, and so, yeah, 90% cancellation rates that, that extended through, you know, pretty much the end of April. Um, and so what that sort of enabled, though, was, uh, well, a lot of open calendars, which allowed a lot of uh, different types of stays, right? Immediate stays, longer term stays. And so I really did really appreciate, like, how flexible these sorts of properties could be, right? Once your traditional four to seven day stays goes away, right, and you've got your calendar booked out, you've got an open calendar, and you can pivot, you can utilize it in a different way, you can accommodate longer term, term stays or self-isolation, whatever it was, and so it sort of enabled in some ways, looking at the silver lining, this sort of new type of guest to arrive last minute for 30 days that needed a hospital bed alternative, right? And so that was uh, really interesting to see and super dynamic at the time. Um, so. We, we definitely saw, you know, numbers change that we've never seen before, right? We saw average length of stay being 3.3 days on average, uh, going to nearly seven days. You know, we saw over 50% of the nights being booked on a weekly basis being for stays of two weeks or longer. And these are like just seismic shifts in the industry. Like you don't see this stuff change by more than 0.1 on a, on a monthly basis, right? And so... Um, you know, the, the market shifted. It had to shift quick to kind of capture where the demand was, try to save their businesses, try to figure out the right discounts to, you know, make it um, an option for people, make it an affordable option for people 
to stay. So, you know, it's, uh, every week is still a new week, right? It's always like just changing so quickly. I think very thankfully that we're in that recovery mode now, which is great. The numbers look pretty astonishing, to be honest with you. When we look at how people are choosing vacation rentals over hotels, like you talked about, Dave, I mean, it is just clear that people want to travel close to big homes, more remote areas, have more space, have less congestion in common areas and check-ins and all that sort of stuff. Like the, the world has spoken and vacation rentals, I do believe are going to come roaring back. They already are roaring back. Um, and we're already seeing booking levels the last week higher than we saw, you know, last week of February, right? We're already seeing booking levels coming back. So there's a lot to be optimistic about um, right now looking forward. Yeah, Scott, that's a great transition because I was getting prepared to ask you about the section of the, the report of the evolving conversation where you're quoted um, talking about some of the economics of this. Um, do you think, or I guess there's a question to both of you, but I'll start with Scott. Do you think that there is, um, as part of this evolving conversation, a need for, maybe it's, a, it's not even so much a need as it's just generally where everything's going, but of a, a, a stronger professionalization of the industry happening. Did you see that? I, you know, I, there's a lot of ways to think about professionalization, right? I think, you know, to root out bad actors, certainly, right? To have nice, consistent experiences, to have clean properties, to not have bad stories out in the press. I mean, I think there's, there's, a, there's a big need to sort of root out the bad operators that are running sort of slummy, dirty, inconsistent properties with, you know, all the parties and everything else, right? So I think there's, there's that need. Um, but I still do have this belief in this belief that the future vacation rentals is still going to be dominated by these people with five properties, with mm -hmm. under 20 properties. I think, you know, because of the uniqueness of the stay, you know, when you, you, when you own a property, you care more about that property. When you have fewer properties, you can kind of care more about every single guest that's checking in. I still do feel like the futures is very distributed ownership of, of properties and management of those properties. So in that sort of professionalization, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if this makes this a much more smaller, nimble set of individuals that survive this COVID um, future. Um, and so it just depends how you think about professionalization. Mm -hmm. Most people think growth, 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 more properties. Everybody has 10,000 properties and we have massive brands. I don't believe that's the future. I think it's a lot of, you know, democratization of these, these uh, properties and the management of them moving forward, but in a more professional manner. Yeah, and I, I should have probably stated that too, you know, the professionalization is kind of still to be defined, but one of the, I'm looking at this chart here of the type of assistance uh, people are looking for, and a lot of the uh, respondents had come in, you know, asking for cleaning procedure guidance for business preparedness and planning and training, uh, information about HR and legal issues. You know, to me, that, that is the professionalization, even if it's, you know, if you manage one property, one room, um, or if you manage a thousand homes, you know, trying to make sure that you cover your basis and learning, figuring out what that is uh, that you need to learn and actually going out and learning is what to me makes the professional. Dave, did you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think there's actually a little bit of a paradox here too, where the larger the manager was, and, and maybe this might be more relevant for urban, but these really large managers that span the country, 
have not fared well. And part of it's the business model of uh, having lease obligations that weren't very flexible. But part of it was just that I think, you know, to Scott's point, we, we are a demo, like demo, I don't want to get wrapped around the word democratic or, or democratization of hospitality here. But if you just think about it, these are local businesses for the most part that are run by local people who hire local people that provide a very, you know, usually esoteric or bespoke or, you know, uh, flavorful with that local flavor experience, you know, whether it's a beach, a mountain, a small city, a big city, a tourist destination or not, I think that's what people want. And if you want a very homogenous uh, branded experience, you know, you could probably get that, but it, it starts to look a little different than the core uh, things you'd be shopping for on the, on the short-term rental OTAs. And to that point, I think we, and Greg, I don't want to transition for us, but like, I think we really need to lean into the fact that we are different than all other lodging options. And it's something to be embraced and it's something to be protected. And that's at the end of the day, the fact that we're basically local community businesses and the money that goes into these homes goes into the homeowner's pocket, which usually goes to a contractor or maybe even to renovate the kitchen or do something like that, you know, every couple of years. And that's what makes these industries hum. Um, in Texas, it's a three and a half billion dollar industry in aggregate, but it's very well distributed all over the state. It's 35,000 jobs reliant on the short-term rental activity. Texas is my, my particular state, so I know these things. And those are like, so big numbers here, but then micro numbers for each individual. And there's not a lot of other uh, communities and industry that, that can A, provide such a unique offering that's better when smaller, oftentimes, um, or different or more unique. Um, and, and then, you know, I'm, I hope Greg, I know we'll talk about kind of advocacy and what this means for the future, but you know, these are really important parts of our story and our narrative. Yeah. And the more we get them out there, I think the better off we all are. Cause they're true. Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I think it's an interesting point, Dave. I mean, yeah, like different is better. I mean, it, it's funny. We sort of like a hype in that term alternative lodging or just being different. And it's maybe the only leg that hotels have to stand on right now is because nobody wants that same homogenous feel when they're traveling, especially for leisure these days. That's the only thing they have going for them is like, you know, the standardization of their cleaning processes, their turnover, like, you know, and, and they do have that to go on right now. And that's the only thing they have to, the only leg they have to stand on is that, you know, we have a more consistent process across our entire supply of, of hotels and we can't give them any good reasons to sort of be able to lean into that more right like with the trash department they go into or the you know like the nasty places whatever right you know the press is going to try to pick up on mental <laughs> inconsistency that one property that one guest is going to take is going to take headlines because that's that's how it works right that's how that's how they work they're going to take one story and run with it for the next six months so you know it, cleanliness is going to be the key and, and everybody knows that somebody walks into a place that doesn't look like it's been thoroughly deep clean, like that cancellation is coming very quickly. Yes, definitely. So I think uh, to kind of get to the, the closing segment here, of, so how do we use this information from this study? 
you know, this report has a lot of valuable information in here. Um, clearly, there's going to be a need going forward for advocating for the industry. Um, you know, one of one of my fears is that this is going to cause regulatory backlash, especially around the cleaning standards. Um, you know, we're seeing right now states not reopening vacation rentals, but allowing hotels to to open up or remain open. Um, you know, bed and breakfasts and campgrounds are allowed to open, but vacation rentals aren't allowed to. And so, you know, my fear going into, especially next legislative cycle, since a lot of legislatures are already closed out for the year, what could potentially come out of that all of this is to be seen. Uh, but I think we need to have our guard up uh, and be ready. And so just wondered what thoughts you had on, you know, the information that's in here. What would you say is the important stuff to convey? Is it conveying it to your local uh, representatives? Is it conveying it to your state officials? What thoughts did you have around that? Either one of you, go ahead and, Dave, if you want to start. I'll do my two cents. I mean, I think Dave has been a lot more thoughtful about sort of how to leverage this document. You know, for me, it is, you know, it is a conversation starter document, right? No way it's going to be the end of the conversation, but it could be that eye-opener, right, that just talks about, you know, how many of these properties are self-managed, how many people are local, how much effort they're going through to make sure that the places are adequate for travel these days. Um, so I think it's the conversation starter, right? And it's also just about local, 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 right? These are local people, local residents. And as economic vitality and recovery becomes the conversation moving forward, that we are seen as crucial to opening up those Main Street businesses, to getting customers back into those restaurants and stores and antique shops and whatever it may be. You know, this is, this is, super vital, not just to employment, but to also just getting some money back in the economy. I'm super optimistic about it, to be honest with you. I think this is sort of the wake up call people needed that like, hey, you need people showing up in your city, all your residents depend on these people, and that they're, they're gonna be a softening up of you know, what people's stance are uh, about like what is the true value of tourism. Like, I don't think you're gonna have riots around the world about over tourism for a long time, right? And so <laughs> we're gonna have this uh, opening up of the conversation about like, what is that right balance and how to become more accepting of short-term rentals. Yeah, and, and I think that's, that's spot on. And the way you started it, Scott, is, is true. And like, you know, this was the first project rent responsibly, the VRMA and AirDNA came together to do in this format. A first doesn't have to be the last, right? And so the idea being that this is a starting document from which we look forward and we stand upon to advocate for what we, what we know to be the truth. But frankly, there's a huge gap between what we know and what this document might say and what the rest of the world thinks. And that's what I think is really inspiring about this moment. And as Scott said, it, it is a call uh, to, to action when you think of the opportunity that we have as a short-term rental community to rewrite the common understanding and perception of our of uh, of the of what we offer and what we do and, and the values uh, therein, but more importantly, this turns very quickly into an economic conversation. I think it'd be one thing to say, you know, we 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 helped a lot of people uh, self-isolate through um, through COVID. Great, got it. We have a lot of people who didn't get financial support from the CARES Act. Great. Got it. But 
the next conversation is we are where we are now as a as every economy large you know state by state city by city region by region and folks are going to seek out the type of accommodation that is most comfortable for them and that they want to put their uh you know money into to for their limited vacation budgets and at the end of the day that money the the conversation i want to have is what are the short-term rental communities doing to get prepared for those visitors like the vrma safe home initiative that's a huge advance we didn't have these uh kind of centralized cleaning guidelines before but we do now we need to promote them celebrate them and implement them two is we need to continue to look at the economic impact what are the benefits not just to the traveler owner host manager in that ecosystem but to the city the city itself is benefiting we're revitalizing tourism we're paying tot we're, we're um getting folks who want to move to a community a place to stay for a month and then they're going to go shopping with a realtor and invest in their own real estate these sort of things are all facilitated through the short-term rental industry and things we're looking at because everybody can understand those and everybody wins when we when we improve the processes. I mean, I'm not saying we need to all fold our toilet papers in the same triangle, like, you know, Marriott might hold brand standards in that direction. We all need to follow the basic level of safety and protocol. And then we all need to pay our taxes and yada, yada. These are things we've talked about uh, for a long time. But at the end of the day, we need to bridge the gap between the big numbers, the individual people, and be very proud and out in front on this. And I'm, I kind of can't wait for the next like four years of my life to just keep like slamming my fist and saying like, damn it, we know this stuff now. We need to tell everybody <laughs> and get behind it because this is, uh, is short-term rentals were in large part, and Scott may have better data than I, but before the Great Recession, uh, this little, you know, air mattress Airbnb company hadn't really done, I mean, it, didn't, it wouldn't have existed if it weren't for that hardship on a macro scale. And at this point, we're going to be leading um, in, into the next, you know, decades, and hopefully there's never another pandemic, but we'll be, you know, ready, willing and able if that ever were to happen again. And we should be seen as the fabric. You know, we've been talked about tearing this, the fabric of the neighborhood apart. We're sewing that damn neighborhood fabric back together again. And, uh, and we need to be proud of it. I mean, yeah. I think, you know, yeah, I think this is, should be seen as um, the pandemic has made everybody throw away their playbook, right? And I see this with my customers and my partners and my, my frenemies in the, in the space. Like everybody's like, is it a new world? Like we need to find new friends. We need to find new avenues. We need to rethink everything that we have done previously. And so, you know, we shouldn't be sort of hiding and waiting for bookings to come back until we sort of have an approach with how to work with our local, you know, communities and our local legislators, right? Because this is the time now that they are more open to any decent idea, more open to change and collaboration than I've ever seen. And me as a company, like I'm not looking for revenue right now. I'm looking for like collaboration partnerships and making like my friends, right? And like, you're going to find out who your friends are in this. And I think this is a good time to reach out, um, you know, to, whoever the like local stakeholders are, because everybody's open for a new conversation, for a new future. Scott, that's a, a great point. Um, you know, we saw a very specific situation in Florida where the, the governor had allowed hotels to remain open while closing down all vacation rentals, um, you know, slowly allowing counties to open up 
uh, based on plans that they put together. And the collaboration of the industry was just, it's remarkable. We've seen competitors on the, the supplier side, we've seen competitors in local markets working together, um, picking up the phone, making calls to anyone and everyone to try to get into the governor's offices. Um, and we, you know, Vera may push the, the safe home program to the governor and to, to the legislature. And the first seven counties that opened up um, all had guidelines that either mimicked or specifically stated the safe home program in it, uh, which I think was a, a remarkable feat um, for the industry to actually have the, the recognition of these people have their stuff together. They know how to reopen. We need them to reopen because this is the largest vacation rental market in the, in the country. Let's trust that they know what they're doing and we're going to open back up slowly, but still opening back up. Um, so yeah, the, to mimic your, your comment there about the collaboration, it's, it is quite remarkable, but it's a long road ahead. There's still many states that are, are not reopening vacation rentals. Um, and so, you know, I think as it was mentioned, this document is, uh, this report is that opening conversation starter with your local officials, with your state officials, uh, the best you can. Yeah, so, and I don't hit on that a lot, and it's not something I'm involved with on a daily basis, but I know, Greg, and Dave, you are, which is sort of this equal treatment of short-term rentals and hotels, right? And I don't know if we talked a lot about that, but I think that was a big impetus of this, was sort of making sure the narrative was clear, like, you know, we're doing the same thing. We're equally as essential, if not more essential. This is how people want to travel in these times. And just making sure that this sort of knee-jerk reaction of people and this sort of how do you say, sort of fear tactics of like, hey, I don't mind if somebody's staying in a hotel in the central business district, but I don't want them across the street, right? And that's a lot what's just sort of driving these decisions, I would say, is that, you know, it's okay if there's travel, but just not on my street, not on my block, right? And we need to sort of sort of break that down because I think that's going to be one of the biggest struggles. It's just like it's too close to home. Um, and this is sort of part of that conversation starter as well. So I think we're coming up on time here. I just wanted to ask, do you have any final thoughts that you wanted to add to this conversation or data, the report that you wanted to highlight before we finish this up? I'll jump in with one thing. And I think that this is something I'm, forgive me if it sounds like I'm trying out messaging here, but I am. <laughs> we aren't going to get where we need to go. And this is like the royal we, we as a community and industry, without really uh, changing the fundamental understanding of what advocacy is. So I think a lot of people think that advocacy is marching on city hall and demanding certain things and waiting for your turn to speak, speaking for two minutes, maybe writing a letter, maybe writing an op-ed, things like that. That is part of the equation, but a lot of 1,400 people took this survey and that is an act of advocating for themselves. Why? Because you're getting your voice heard and in the mix. So there's really just, and this is when I started Rent Responsibly, is what I was trying to figure out, what are we really solving here? I know that there is a ton of energy in the short-term rental community. There's a ton of energy. It's an energetic, entrepreneurial, proactive group. There's also a ton of need to make sure that city halls around the world understand what we are doing, who we are, uh, the, you know, what, what we're bringing to the community and who we are as people. And so how do we bridge that energy on one side and the need on the other? And I think that's what the survey is attempting to begin to do in a new way 
but fundamentally, you know, we're in the solutions oriented uh, a game here with, with making, you know, creating a sustainable future for short-term vacation rentals everywhere. So my plea to anybody listening is, you know, figure out what small acts of quote advocacy you can take. And it may be getting to know who represents you already locally or getting to know your local realtors association, just asking them if they even know what's going on, you know, for in large part, uh, they can be helpful with making sure our community opens back up for travelers, things of that nature. And, and the last thing is to, to um, you know, connect with Greg Holcomb at VRMA. He does a fantastic job, you know, fighting fires all over the country simultaneously, which is pretty, pretty amazing just to even conceive of. But, you know, we need to get more people, you know, raising their hand saying, what can I do to help? So um, you can help. There's room for everybody. And, and we will be doing more surveys. And I want to thank our partners, uh, VRMA and AirDNA, for, for making this uh, I hate to say dream come true. It was more just like, let's just get this SHIT done. Uh, and we did. So um, let's just keep going. <laughs> Couldn't have said it any better, Dave. Thanks for spearheading the whole thing. And uh, yeah, hopefully as we get into the recovery stage, we'll have some you know, more optimistic and, and fun stories to share and not so much doom, doom and gloom because that's what you have to be selling is sort of that hope and that future and that, and not that sort of, hey, like we need to stay alive and please help us, but like how are we gonna help this community thrive in the future? And so hopefully we can get back to that, that, those, uh, those fun stories and those uh, inspirational stories as we move forward. Yeah, I think that's absolutely a great place to stop on. It's uh, something we've been talking about here. Uh, we've been using the hashtag VRMA strong. Uh, you know, we're stronger together than we are apart, um, you know, doesn't matter what your business model is uh, or what your local market looks like. Competitors aren't necessarily competitors right now, um, you know, to, to put it lightly. So um, thank you both uh, Scott, AirDNA and, and Dave here with Rent Responsibly for, for taking the time out of uh, your busy schedules too to, to have this discussion. Um, and I want to encourage all the listeners, uh, you know, the go, go look at this report. Uh, it's available. Uh, you can get it off the Rent Responsibly site, or you can go to virame.org, go to our COVID resource page, and we'll have it on there as well. But I think it's really eye-opening, and it is that good conversation starter. Thank you very much, and goodbye. Track Hospitality Software is owned and operated by a 20-year industry-leading hospitality company, TravelNet Solutions. Track is a portfolio software designed specifically with your vacation rental management company in mind. From cloud contact center to vacation rental management software, including features such as trust accounting, maintenance, housekeeping, owner portal, guest portal, channel distribution, and more, all in one platform. Create seamless operations and increase revenue with Track. To learn more about Track Hospitality software, visit trackhs.com.